Hey, hey, Pod Nutsians. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode number 253. This show is brought to you by extreme long-term supporter by the name of Paul Bell. Uh, Paul helped Podnuts with Linux for the Rest of Us, I want to say starting around episode 10. He helped make the notes more legible and digestible for people. Uh, and he's just been supportive throughout the whole time. So I definitely give a big, huge shout out to Paul. Uh, and say thank you for all the support throughout all the years. Also, I'm going to say hello to Bruce Patterson. How is everything going, Bruce? Dor, everything's going pretty well. Uh, it seems like we got a little catching up to do. Yeah, yeah. And what I'll say is um, I cannot, on every show, Android App Addicts, Linux for the rest of us, when you see, explain why there has not been more shows out than there should have been in reality. Uh, if you want to update on that kind of personal information, uh, go ahead and listen to Door to Door Geek TDG episode number 44. I go into some good detail about all the uh, things going on uh, physically, at least with me and health wise, which has made it at least a little bit difficult to record as often as I would like to. Well, and also, I mean, with the pandemic being the way it is, it's it's drastically altered some of our lives, too, and some of the things that we're doing. So, yeah, <laughs> I think for some of those who are looking for a relief from computing, it was a, a moment to step away for a little bit, too. Yeah. And like um, my job has changed. My nine to five job has changed uh, since the pandemic started kind of thing to where now I am doing I'm like a developer in air quotes. But I'm a developer in what is called a low-code solution. So while before I could literally bring my Pinebook Pro into work and do all my research on that and then go to my Windows computer and do my normal work, now I'm literally spending many, many more hours in a Windows ecosystem to get the job done. Um, and I'll say Windows is just as brittle, just as fragile just as fractured and like hurting as ever before. The only difference is I think now it's easier for them to get things back to un to like uninstall patches that break stuff or just, you know, to reinstall .NET if needed or stuff like that. Yeah, but I think the biggest thing that still affects them is uh, uh, the changes usually still come without warning or very little warning. And, you know, uh, I'm quite frankly, um, I'm really sick of Microsoft in general. It, it, I'm not going to go on a long winded screed about it, but it's just the fact of the matter is that, you know, every time there's a change made to exchange, something inevitably impacts either the end user or the administrators. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've opened up the admin panel to see that something else has changed within the admin panel. And then the email, like anything else, shows up two days later. It's like, that's not helpful. Yeah, I mean, ha I do believe most of their changes are just for changes sake, just so they can say it's changed. But I will say one thing that I actually really like when I'm in Windows is the ability to just hold down start, hit shift and the letter S and get a quick screen grab and have it copy to the clipboard. And then it pops up in the bottom corner. And if you want to, you can click it and then do highlights and stuff um, to show people what's going on on your screen and why something isn't working. Um, and because of how well that snipper tool, I believe it's called in Windows, uh, does seem to work just you know, really fine. I then said to myself, self, I have to go find a Linux tool that I don't want to say is as good. I don't want to say it's better. What I will say, it does seem like it's more functional than that normal Windows tool, and it's called uh, FlameShot. Um, you can go ahead and install it basically from what it looked like on anything, uh, any distro, whether it be uh, an ARM-based, Intel-based, uh, Arch-based, 
Ubuntu based, Debian based, or whatever. Uh, and it's really easy to basically launch it and use it. Uh, the options are insane. You can easily capture a section of a screen and then very quickly add text to it or highlight to it or crop it out or you know change some other things to it. Uh, there's one click upload it to, I want to say imager if you want. Uh, it also has the ability to take multiple screenshots. So what I mean is you basically just hypothetically go through your routine, take 10 screenshots back to back to back to back to back. Then you can literally open the app and go through your screenshot history and then annotate each one, save them out. Like if you're trying to document a uh, task kind of thing you have to do. Um, this might be my new favorite app that I found on Linux, maybe in like two years is what I'm going to say. It's like crazy functional and key, uh, the keyboard macros are like second to none. They're like unbelievably useful. Uh, have you ever been tempted to take a screenshot and then sell it as an NTF or what is it? An F NFT now? NFT, yeah. Um, if I felt like it would be worth anything, but I can't picture anything on my screen is going to be worth anything. Well, you never know. People are people are overpaying for the dumbest things on the internet these days. Well, and it's like, um, oh man, I'm trying to remember the movie. Okay, tangent. Long story short, um, my son is 15, going to be 16 next month. Uh, me and my wife have for the last like two years, every so often, stopped and said to ourselves, "Self, this is a movie that my son needs to watch just so he can understand, you know, humanity, comedy, blah 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 blah." And there was at least one movie where the guy was trying to do something and everyone around him told him how stupid he was, but it turned out that was the thing to make money. Um, maybe there is something on my screen or something, but uh, I don't gamble. And that's the whole thing. I don't invest in Dogecoin. I don't invest in Bitcoin. I don't invest in slot machines. I don't want anything to do with non-fungible tokens. Well, it's funny because at one point I actually, uh, it was weird. Maybe it's just, you know, cerebrally. I knew this was in, in the back of my mind, but I was actually looking for uh, an actual Dogecoin the other day because I know that a little while back somebody was uh, minting them in silver and I thought it would be fun just to have one, you know? And then of course those started to take off and it's like, wow, did I really miss an opportunity here? But yeah, I don't know who's to say. I think it's I'm too far in the game right now to care about uh, um, cryptocurrency, but yeah, things could change. Well, and I mean, here's the thing: if you really want to, you can start to invest right now in it, and you're you're fine. The only difference is you're not going to be able to say I have you know thirty billion dollars in thirty years or whatever. Because I remember back in the day, you go to the website and just click the button, and you could get free bitcoins because they were that easy to create kind of thing um and yes of course i think if i only if i would have only if i could have only if i you know whatever wah 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 i'd be whatever but um I, it, it's like i told my financial advisor when he asked what were my retirement plans i said uh to work till i die um and i'm perfectly content with that actually it's funny you mentioned that because i hired one for the first time this year too and uh for all, all the sports fans out there, just remember your financial ad advisor has to be a fiduciary um, because that's the only way that uh, you know that the person's working in your behalf as opposed to for themselves or for the company. But, um, you know, one of the other things that the pandemic also brought around is the, the realization that um, I, I don't care for technology. I, I really don't. I've had some uh, I've had a couple of months to do some real, you know, 
um, reevaluation of where things are. And I'm in the back nine of my career as it is. And I do know that, you know, uh, if there's something else out there that's worth pursuing, uh, maybe it's time to, you know, um, it's, uh, um, I won't say I hate computers, but I'm looking forward to the day I can finally turn it off. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people like that. I will say, um, it's kind of like the people who say, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Um, between you and me, those people are lying through their teeth. If you do what you love as a job, you're going to work 120 hours a week and end up hating it. That's the real truth of doing what you love, which is why I'm okay working my nine to five in the windows world now. So when I get time to clock out, I don't have anything to do with windows anymore, but here's another stupid windows thing. If you have to use windows and somebody else, you know, has to use windows and you have to give them help and support or they need help and support. It cannot be any easier. Windows key control and Q, I believe it is 99% sure. And that's quick access. Literally, you just hit those three keys and it pops up with a like a, a five digit code or give access. And quite literally, you just tell the other person, give me your five digit code. You click the I want to help somebody and you type in that five digit code and you're instantaneously connected to that other person's computer with complete control. Um, uh, it makes I don't want to help people, but if I have to, then that's how I'm going to do it when they're on Windows. Well, you know, I think one of the great parts about it is that it doesn't matter whether you're using Teams, whether you're using Zoom or some variation of a support service application like uh, Bomgar, for example. Um, it, it's funny because uh, these days I actually find myself doing screen shares because, oh, holy cow, some of our folks that we support really, they're not computer savvy and we insist on giving them computers anyway. Um, but it's just a lot easier to remote into a machine or set up something where you can actually see what they're trying to do and then go from there. So, you know, at least this kind of technology is actually caught up to the 21st century now. It's definitely done a good amount of catch up, but yeah, uh, I'm kind of like you in the sense of if this is Star Trek, the next generation, I don't want to be Jordy LaForge. I don't want to be the guy that is the only guy around that seems to know how everything works. And whenever something breaks, you look at me. I really, to a certain degree, do not want to be that guy. Um, I'm okay with my family and friends thinking I'm an idiot and not pinging me random times. Hey, no, you know that thing. Uh, yeah. No, no, I'm okay with being, uh, you know, just like a red shirt guy in the background. Well, I guess one of the things about it is that uh, still all people need to do is hear that you're in some form of IT and automatically you've become their de facto help desk person. <laughs> yeah, my answer to everyone for everything now is just get a Chromebook. Doesn't matter what the problem is, <laughs> just get a Chromebook because when you do, you're going to stop asking me questions. <laughs> or in this case, I just tell people, you know, a Mac is a really fine product. Go to one of their genius bars. They'll help you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. There's another website I want to mention just so it's in the notes, just so it's there. And I want to say I got this website from Zoke. Zoke is another long time, uh, good, good, good guy, good supporter, just friendly guy. Um, I've never been able to find a really good ad blocking test site. And I remember looking for months and months and months and months because, you know, I got my pie hole running down here. You can run Brave Browser. You can do all these things. Because these ads are getting like sickeningly disgusting, way too much kind of thing. And if you can 
block like your entire network with ads. It makes doing normal things, whether it's just looking up a menu from a restaurant or something, just so much easier. Um, this is a GitHub page. It's basically one of those like active GitHub pages where I'm very happy to say right now they have fixed it on their website um, to where it's basically you just click the link, it runs, it churns, and then it basically does an estimation. I'm very happy to say right now on my network, 100% of ads are being blocked, including the entirety of Amazon is being blocked on this computer. Facebook is being blocked completely on this computer. Uh, Twitter is completely blocked. LinkedIn's completely blocked. All these things are completely blocked on this one computer because this is the computer I use to display web pages for shows. So that is the one I have like tightest lockdown. Um, so if you're running either Adblock Plus or Brave or Piehole or you're running something where you think you're blocking ads, this to me is a great little page to hop to to see how good you're doing. Yeah, and we're in the same category because I too have 100% block hosts. Nice. Uh, and any chance I get a chance to kick Jeff Bezos while he's down, there's a uh, new, uh, well, I don't know if you heard, but Guy Fieri, everybody's favorite Food Network troll, has signed a uh, new five-year deal with Food Network. Whatever your preference, whether you hate him or love him, it doesn't matter. But I do think that he's done a lot for restaurants. Um, and, you know, the, you can't you can't argue against that $25 million to help restaurants in general. And so anyway, he had mentioned that he had sent an email out to the top uh, 500 CEOs to ask them if they'd be willing to make a nominal donation of $500. And he says, well, I won't name any names. Of course, we had a few people who said they, that, you know, they wouldn't uh, help us out. And uh, he goes, but I, I do want to say that Jeff wasn't helping us at all. Yeah, I mean, um, so many mixed feelings about him. Some of his shows are semi-entertaining, diners, drivers, and dives, like that. As a person, he seems like a maroon, a moron, whatever. And then when I heard all the help he did during the restaurants and servers and stuff outside that, nope, can't say anything bad about him now because he's actually using his um, status of a celebrity to actually help other people besides himself. And a lot of celebrities don't seem to go like too hard in doing that, where this guy literally seemed to spend like three months straight doing nothing but waking up and trying to get restaurant people more money because if there was any industry that was hit hard it was movie theaters and restaurants oh absolutely and another new hero is that has emerged through the pandemic uh, oddly enough dolly parton uh for a couple of reasons um one was uh, a, a tennessee town had uh had a fire and i think 36 uh homes were devastated so she basically helped give a thousand dollars per person for six months until they got back on their feet you know the government doesn't even do that and uh the last thing is uh she's also a uh an investor in the covid research uh and gave money to help uh fund uh the the vaccine for the antivirus and if you didn't need another reason at this point, I'll give you one more anyway. She was also responsible for funding Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is true. Um, I, I, I will say she didn't know she was um, um, a donator to the uh, vaccine initiative because she's so busy doing things. She literally has a team of people that she hired, that she trusts, that she knows intimately, who, said, who she basically says, you do investment on my behalf. And she doesn't, you know, mess with them kind of thing. Um, 
I am not a fan of country music whatsoever, except for maybe some Hank Williams Sr. or Hank Williams III, which is kind of like not popular these days. Um, But she is class, like Betty White. She's just class. Anything Dolly Parton does, I have no problem in saying I support. Uh, and that was another movie that my son and me watched just last week, 9 to 5, with uh, Dabney Coleman, um, Dolly Parton, uh, Gil, no, Lily Thompson, and Jane Fonda. And the whole time we watched that movie, my oldest son just could not stop cackling and just giggling like a little girl because that is, I think, one of the better movies to watch. Uh, no doubt. And for all you Criterion uh, film fans, uh, they actually just wrapped up uh, Jane Fonda month on, in February. So there you go. Yeah, and I immediately said after watching that movie with my son, I said, now, I'm sorry, but there was another movie that we should have watched that I completely forgot when I saw Dabney Coleman, and that was uh, Cloak and Dagger, which I want to say was like yeah. 82 or 83. I don't know that one. Uh, long story short, Elliot from E.T., the kid, is in this movie. He's the main star where he has imaginary friends. His imaginary friend is uh, Jack Flack. Jack Flack is this imaginary super spy superhero who just happens to look exactly like his dad. And he accidentally stumbles across a spy thing and gets involved shooting bang bang, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, and at the end of the movie, it turns out his dad is the best hero he ever had. Kind of just and Dabney Coleman in a non comedy role just killed it. Just did great. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, another movie like that. I'm going to have to show my son is the uh, Last Starfighter, uh, where it's not comedy, but you know, it, even though I'm focusing on comedy with him, but you know, once in a while I got to throw in something else. Uh, you know, it's funny you you alluded to uh, you know parts of country music that may not be as popular these days. And since we're talking about tone deaf, uh, very surprising that uh, the Free Software Foundation tried to slide in the Richard Stallman, uh, hey, he's back. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to literally just stop and say, what the hell are you guys smoking over there? I mean, they got rid of him because he said some incredibly insensitive thing. Now, everybody who knew of him knew he was incredibly insensitive, like in the 90s kind of thing, okay? So what he said to the people who were aware of him was no surprise at all. And they canceled him kind of thing. And then what was it like less than nine months later, they like try to quietly bring him back into the fray and they use the excuse of, well, who knows as much as he does? Cause like, we like need him. We need his expertise. We need his knowledge. We need his wisdom without that. You know, we're all going to go to hell in a handbasket kind of attitude. <laughs> I, I guess I couldn't disagree more with that assessment because, I mean, I've met John Sullivan, the uh, the current president, and he's a bright guy. I really fail to see why they would think that they need somebody like Richard Stallman back in their their uh, uh, board because that, that just, that's, that's tone deaf all the way through. And let's face it, when you start losing supporters like Red Hat, Fedora, and all of these other... Uh, the distros and not to mention some of the larger companies you know shouldn't you put the brakes on that and say well wait a minute all right well we made a mistake we're going to get rid of it but it seems like they're willing to go down with the ship here which is shockingly short-sighted well i mean you know um everything runs its course maybe it's time for the fsf to just be dissolved and be absolved and if something take its place i don't know um because to care that much about 
him and not care as much about losing the sponsorship things you have tells me there are things going on that I obviously either am unaware of or the people making the choices are incredibly incompetent. Either way, all I can say is grab your bag of popcorn and let's just see what happens. But I don't think it's going to be anything. Uh, I think you're going to like end up cringing multiple times. So here's uh, here's another thing that we can throw out there. Uh, since I'm bashing on them, I might as well continue my path. Um, uh, so it leads me back to whoever does their communications, because you and I remember that there was somebody that we know very well who was up for a position to do exactly that and probably would have done a smash-up job because, you know, it's just the way it is. And I have to tell you, if I've very rarely heard anything coming out of the Free Software Foundation in months. And, I mean, it's not like they're saying we're busy. <laughs> it couldn't be that. I mean, and it's, I don't know. I mean, are they in danger of just becoming a niche group? And at this point, maybe you're right. Is it time to dissolve? What what are the what guides them these days? What are they actually fighting for? And that's the whole thing. Like you said, they've not been clear. Well, let me rephrase this. I don't, can't tell you the last time when I looked at the FSF and I knew exactly what they stood for, exactly what they were shooting for, and exactly what would make them happy. Um, their transparency has been about as good as your local police stations, is the way I'll put it. Um, not very good. Um, they, they definitely need to be more ah, communicative, hold like more public events kind of thing, I guess. I don't know, to where people can ask them questions and they can answer questions instead of just once in a while throwing up a thing about how they hate Nintendo or, you know, somebody else. Uh, and actually, to, to sort of dovetail off of that, one of the big things that they had going on a couple of years ago is that they had somebody dressed up in a GNU suit and stand in front of Microsoft to, you know, protest whatever it is they're protesting that day. Same thing with Microsoft, I mean, with Apple. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, is that really effective? Because when the day is done, I'm pretty sure it's not. You're now just a sideshow. It, it's no better than having gritty from the flyers come out there and start protesting things. You know, you get somebody hiding in a mascot suit. And to your point, they should be out there saying, hey, this is what's happening. You know, uh, whether it's a flyer or like you said, talking to somebody, you know, uh, why aren't they having events in places that matter, like schools, universities, things like that? Uh, instead, you get a Libre Planet that comes around once a year and they get to preach amongst themselves. And that's not effective. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's easy to talk to people who already believe you or are already in your camp. The difficult, most difficult thing with any of these organizations is getting new support. And you're right. High schools, colleges are where you have to go. This is 2021. You can't just put up your little juice stand at the end of the corner and expect everyone to come to you. You have to go to them. Um, but not to be outdone on what the hell is going on with your organization. The OSI had their own uh, issues, the Open Source Initiative. They had a election uh, to see what, to have people go onto their board, and it turned out there was voting irregularities, a.k.a. it was a crooked election. Somebody was literally manipulating votes on these kind of things. Um, look, I'm happy they called it. I'm happy they're at least being moderately transparent about it, but then that goes into, like, why? 
what do they have to benefit? So I'm going to have to say there must be some monetary gain or some ability to manipulate some funds or something for you to want to have to manipulate the vote to be, to be sure that you're on this board. Um, so then I would have to stop and say, let's reevaluate the board's responsibility and what they're involved with. Because if somebody's trying to manipulate the votes, that means that there's something, there's some kind of payoff being on this board that, again, I am completely unaware of. Well, I think the other thing that also uh, should open the doors to is actually investigation into their status. Uh, if they are, you know, uh, uh, either a 503 or some kind of nonprofit, because, you know, the salaries that some of these boards give are unbelievable. I mean, these are people that get to sit on the board and for what? There's there's really no um, accountability, I guess, is one word for it. But there's also no output for these people. They sit on a board to make decisions about things that don't really affect a majority of people. I mean, again, I think at this point, it's time to reevaluate what these boards actually do. Yeah, and I mean, the only one not in the news recently with this kind of thing is the Linux Foundation of all groups. So apparently they're either doing really good at keeping their dirty stuff private or they're actually trying to do a good job of actually staying clean. I can't tell which one's true. Uh, You know, I still wrestle with them because... My my still I've always asked this question year in, year out. What is it that you say you do here? Because it's not um, it's not guarding Linux kernel, apparently. Um, and that's actually a story we could probably go into in a little bit, too. The, the pros and cons of what the University of Minnesota did to the kernel. But, um, you know, again, with the board. Uh, I don't I don't understand exactly what the Linux Foundation is doing. They're making uh, certification for uh, Linux admins a little cheaper. But, you know, again, <laughs> that's such a drop in the bucket. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was trying to get a completely impartial just report on what happened with the Linux kernel. And then it seemed like they were almost purposefully trying to put bad stuff in there just to show, hey, it's easy to put bad stuff in there. But I couldn't get like direct, like straight answers when I was trying to read it, partially because there's way too many words in every one of those articles I was trying to go through. Well, and to your point, I think one of the things that uh, I kind of read in between the lines on that, too, because uh, one of the um, uh, engineers from the university actually had an open letter apologizing to... uh, um, the uh, folks who maintain the kernel, because uh, I, I think that really what it was was that I get what they're trying to do, and I, I mean, quite frankly, uh, who else within the kernel actually does provide such things? It's nice that somebody caught it, but you know, again, um, how do you police the kernel in a way, and how do you test against vulnerabilities? Yeah, and see, and that's where you need independent third-party auditing, independent third-party. Like security probing kind of thing is what I'll say. Um, it's one of those things I'm just going to sit on the sideline, wait for all the dust to settle, wait for weeks to go by, and then search for what I consider to be trusted sources like uh, Stephen Von Nichols or somebody like that to just put it in like plain English. Well, you know, and you also have uh, John Corbett, who's a kernel developer, um, and his uh, 
website lwn.net so uh, i actually haven't looked at their uh, site yet to see how they've reported on it uh, i should absolutely do that okay well then i'll give a distraction to everyone else um i kind of enjoy when people figure out uh inventive ways i'm going to put it of gamifying education um another like tangent the long and the short of it is i believe the future of the best education is making it interactive gamifying it in such a way to give the people a reason to keep learning you know for high scores for prestige for show up not just to get a's and b's and c's and d's kind of thing um this is called uh over the wire uh and this is basically a website where it takes you through um your bash skills the more you know about your bash skills the better you are going to be able to get through these games is what i'm going to say um and the reason i found this was because their uh, their game hacknet literally it's a game called hacknet that i bought on steam that i showed my uh nephew and my son it and it's very linux ish but it's super simplified uh command line you can do a lot of stuff on the on the command line in the game uh some of the commands are actual commands a lot of the commands are just fictitious things kind of thing but it gives them a basic idea of how you can circumvent systems get around security do probes on networks and stuff like that where this is more actual usable linux commands where it is true bash commands kind of thing um i thought this was cool i played with it for about 20 30 minutes I didn't make it very far, is what I'm going to say, because everything I do on the command line, I have to look up examples for, or else I can't remember them. And actually, it's funny, you can also segue that into uh, the ultimate Linux cheat sheet. Um, and in that in that line that you put in there, do you want to become an ethical hacker? Um, and uh, that actually looks like a really interesting uh, uh, article. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of cheat sheets. For the longest time, I would literally print out these things and put them on my cube wall or put them down here on the wall. Or I would literally just have a monitor up with just that cheat sheet on it. Um, the other example is I had the i3 uh, cheat sheet as my uh, blank page when I start up a new browser. That was how often I needed to like remember those commands. Um, now i3 is my bread and butter. It's the one I always try to load, even... You know, on my Pine book, I still run KDE Plasma, and it runs fine. I still have good GNOME running on a box or two, and it runs fine. But when I need to be productive, I still hop on i3. Um, and I love the idea of just more and more cheat sheets, just to make things a little bit easier for me to, to understand and remember. Excellent. Let me ask you. Um, so I, I have a different understanding of i3. Uh, it's an application that we use, but... Uh, what is what is your definition of i3? Um, or what is it actually? It's a window manager. It's not a desktop. Because with a desktop, you have more things with it. GNOME is a desktop. KDE is a desktop. OpenBox is more of a desktop. i3 is like awesome, where all it is is a blank canvas, very minimal things going on, except it's incredibly highly customizable, configurable, um, very keyboard-driven. Um, it's the kind of uh, desktop when you launch an application, it expects to be full screen kind of thing. So you really need to be more uh, using desktops. So like right now I have seven active desktops on my main rig right here. One is running Mumble. One is running email. One is running my Bluetooth. One is running my PAVU control. Uh, one is running an incognito version of my browser. 
and the other one is using my normal browser kind of thing. So it's like, it's just a different way of organizing your desktop is the way I'll put it. Okay, now that's much different. Uh, the i3 I know is actually an interactive phone client. So, all right, very good. It's a, um, I want to say the right word is, is it's a tiling window manager, uh, aka it's the kind of thing that you could believe you could have ran on a computer in 1982. Okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah, and a link to that uh, cheat sheet and everything else will be in the notes, I will say. Um, and I will say, I did hear this uh, link on, I want to say it was a podcast called Unsupervised Learning. Um, I want to say the guy's name is David Usler, which I'm sure I'm like butchering how his name is. Um, but he's a really well-versed security guy who's definitely been in security for a while. He definitely understands a lot of the things that are going on. And he saw this news article and it's basically microsoft open sources its tool that it uses to use artificial intelligence in simulated attacks and when he went into the like the nitty-gritty details of this he said i don't think people understand this tool is literally going to revolutionize how we do security because you can literally put this tool against your network and then it has a partner program that uses AI to defend your network. And you just basically set them loose and you see what happens on your network. And he believes this is the kind of application that when it becomes more mature, which he said it will probably take a year or two, when it becomes more mature, you're going to have security people basically losing their job because this tool will be able to do a lot of things that human beings just really can't do because this can do a hundred million simulated attacks and reactions as fast as the hardware can push it. Where with humans, you always got to stop, evaluate, think, determine, do kind of thing. Oh, no. In fact, AI, I think, is what will also finally get rid of all these other antivirus clients at this point. Because uh, there was a, a um, security conference I went to not too long ago, which actually featured different kinds of AI involved in troubleshooting network issues uh basically you know things like logic monitor and uh uh there's one i think uh, called uh dark trace uh, and i'm forgetting some of the other ones but uh the way they employ ai in these things is phenomenal i mean it it goes i mean one of the things that i love about it is just the ability for it to learn once you've programmed certain parameters around it and then it makes decisions in under a, a what is it a tenth of a second, you know, and that is phenomenal when you have something that acts that quickly. And in today's world, that time makes makes a difference, all the difference in the world. Yeah, and it's like, you know, computers are only getting faster. Storage is only becoming cheaper. RAM is only becoming more abundant to where those kind of machine learning algorithms will only be more effective at a quicker rate of speed. Um I, I'm with you. I, I firmly believe, you know, the idea of antivirus software as it's traditionally thought where you're looking for pattern matches or heuristic behavior kind of things, they're going to be like the extremely antiquated way of doing it. Instead, you're literally going to have machine learning evaluating IO activity and if it's suspicious or not kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, the good thing about security is we're never going to have it figured out. The bad thing about security is we're going to never have it completely figured out. So there's a, actually an interesting tidbit. So Harvard University has employed Watson uh, to handle help desk duties. 
So I'd be very curious to see how that plays out over the time and how it actually impacts the service desk in general. Because, you know, obviously, if you have a, a computer that can learn all of these uh, issues over time, uh, you know, there are some people that say it could cost them their jobs. But I don't know. I mean, you know, there's still going to have to be somebody who trains the computer on what needs to be done. And let's face it. Um, the uh, one of the things that I've understood over the last year is that there's a term out there called break fix, and that's something that you know it's a buzz term. It's a term used by CEOs who don't understand the technology that their companies run, and nor do they understand the customers nor the support service folks. Um, but anyway, that's a term that's being used, and they and the consensus thinking here is that that stuff is all going away. Well, my friends. As long as Adobe keeps making software, that's false. Um, Microsoft, as long as they keep putting out their OSs, that's false. So uh, I don't think we have to worry about anybody losing their jobs in those realms yet. Yeah, and I and I, there's a term for this, and I don't know what it is. <clears throat> or let me rephrase that. There should be a term for this. If there's a term for it, I don't know what it is. But <clears throat> I picture like the industrial press squishing and then stuff always has to have a place to go. Um, I do believe a majority of middle type of computer jobs will be going away and they're going to go to the extremities. They're going to have, you're always going to have to have the super smart system administrator, master orchestrator doing things, but maybe you don't need as many database administrators. Maybe you don't need as many application administrators. Maybe you don't need, you know, those kind of people, but you're always going to need uh, tier one support, tier two support, tier three support, and you're always going to have to have like the super administrators above everything. And hopefully their pay goes up when those jobs in the middle, you know, kind of like go away. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I think about all the time, because um, one of the security measures that we've implemented at work is now we, if anybody works in Active Directory uh, or you you work with servers or um, um, desktop applications, things like that, we're now part of the Microsoft tiered security services. So tier zeros are supposed to be the DOM admins. Tier one are for folks who manage servers. And then uh, tier two are for the folks that handle desktop applications. And I like the layer of security that this affords because for folks who basically you're not able to run the server off of your own machine anymore, nor are you allowed to connect to it directly. You actually have to have uh, two-factor authentication to it, and th I like that aspect. That's probably one of the few items that Microsoft actually has right in terms of tiered uh, structures. But here's the biggest thing out of all of this. I think that until the customers or the people, our regular workers who use computers actually become a little bit more savvy. I think the, the sort of setup we have today is going to remain in place easily for another decade. Because the thing is, is that one of the phases that we've seen uh, come and go is customer self-service. And the bottom line is a lot of people say, well, you know, we, we put the power in the customer's hands. Well, here's the thing. 
if you don't train your customers how to use the product, then you're finished right off the bat. Because at this point, you really will need all of those people we mentioned. You'll need somebody to man the help desk because they might get them through the simple aspect. But then it gets escalated to tier two. And then tier three will say, oh, yeah, here you You messed up all the security measures on this particular folder, either in SharePoint or you messed up a security group somewhere else. So um, I don't believe that. I think right now, this is the best customer service and our customers in general will be. I don't think it's going to get any better at this point because the new generation is in the workforce now. They've been in the workforce now for 10 years. So if they don't understand the technology that they use their company, then I, I don't see how this gets any better. And let's face it, I'm willing to go out on a limb with that assertion because we had half of the country that voted incorrectly in the elections and it was no small number well it doesn't matter who you are you think half the country voted wrong unless you're like me and i did my traditional thing of throwing my vote away voting for the third party to where i believe like 98 percent of the people voted wrong but you know and that's that's fair enough <laughs> but but, uh, but that's that's something i think that needs to be looked at because there's an assumption made by the ceos of companies that think they know where security or uh, customer support is going for the tools that they use. But until CEOs understand the software that runs their company, it's a lost cause. Yeah. And like the hardest thing I think for any executive to do. Oh, I'm going to paraphrase James Randy here. Uh, James Randy, don't know who he is. I'm sorry for you. Uh, he's long dead. Eh, a couple of years. He once said, have you ever noticed that when someone is awarded a PhD, they have to walk across stage and accept this piece of paper from someone and that someone is always wearing gloves? Do you know why they're wearing gloves? He said, I believe I know why they're wearing gloves when they hand that paper to that person who's getting awarded the PhD because that PhD is coated with a very volatile, active chemical on it to where as soon as that PhD person is handed that piece of paper, that chemical immediately penetrates his skin, gets absorbed into his skin, modifies his DNA in such a way that he can no longer say, I don't know. Um, the executives that I've seen have a very difficult time saying, I don't know, and asking someone below them who's in the trenches, who have scars all over them from being in the trenches for so long, who've witnessed things, who've seen things, and just ask them, what do you think? Why do you think that? And what do you think we should do? Because a lot of time, the information that can be gathered from the people who are in the trenches in your company are the way to actually do better for everybody in the company. And so many executives, I think, have a very hard time just admitting, I don't know. Well, and I also want to say that this is equally shared all the way across because security is such a big thing these days. Well, here's something for security professionals. Make a policy, make a decision, and write it down because you don't. In fact, most of the time, it's this is what we suggest. Well, stop suggesting because that's not security. That's that's hedging your bets. Make a policy, stick by it, and always know that it can be updated. It's supposed to be because nothing is ever static. But, uh, you know, in terms of what security does these days, there are a lot of frauds in security today. Yeah, I mean, security is IT security is one step away from being a con man. Um, because a lot of times you don't tell the person what to do, almost like an auditor, you just tell them that you did something wrong. 
And it's like, you don't want to tell them what to do. That's right. You just want to tell them it's wrong. And you then like force them to try to figure it on their own. There needs to be a security team there. I say a white and a black security team where there's a security team telling you what to do, that it's right. And then a security team to say what you're doing is wrong. And the two should never meet. The two should literally be on opposite sides of the building. They should never even know the other one exists. But when I interact with security people, I'm sick and tired of them just telling me what I can't do. Stop giving me the OWASP stuff and stop doing this. Just tell me what I should be doing. Well, and let's not common sense should rule the day as well. Uh, Let me give you an example. So we have uh, departmental accounts at work and you know, the bottom line is that these are Microsoft objects. They're all in Active Directory. And and best practice means that they're also managed by security groups. And you should never put an individual directly on anything. Uh, But more importantly, the reason why they're added into security groups is because you don't password enable these accounts. And yet... Our IT security folks thought, mm, yeah, this is this makes sense. You know, only a couple of people have it. Well, listen, it takes one person to get fired on a Friday night and then have the whole weekend with the password to this account that we can't manage. And he sends hate mail across across the schools and everyone else. We've had that happen several times over the years. I don't I don't know why it is so hard to make the right call on these things. Yeah, I don't I'm not going to say I have the correct answer. Um I will say I did say like a while ago that you know the nerds will say the year of the Linux desktop is when we're winning. No, I mean we've already won. Open source is everywhere. Every company is like dying to say how they're doing open source. Microsoft won't stop donating code to open source. Oracle is even donating code to open source. The idea of free Libra code winning, I think it's basically done. We've like crushed it. Um, we even have code right now on Mars, thanks to the most recent r- rover over there. Um, when open source code is so trusted that NASA will put it on their objects, I don't know how much better you can get with being solid, being trusted, being you know a source of like a uh uh, uh, trustworthy code than for that. So that's the kind of thing that I love seeing. And all this um, uh, rover stuff I've seen in the last uh, couple like weeks to months has been some of the most all-inspiring stuff that I think I've seen in my life. Actually, there's an HBO documentary. Um, if folks have a chance and they they have HBO, look for it. It's uh, what is it? I know it's a it's a year old. It's uh, 2019 year of science stories. And it's phenomenally interesting. They were showing pictures from all of the uh, um, uh, space uh, flights, whether it's to Mars or whether it's leaving the galaxy. Uh, The pictures that we have now of uh, Saturn and Jupiter and planets like that, phenomenal, phenomenal. So uh, I've been sort of getting into uh, astronomy and cosmology, and I like these kind of things there. I find them incredibly interesting. Um, but anyway, sort of circling back to something else that you had posted, this was for, uh, tablets, uh, Linux on a tablet because, um, I'm in the market for one and, uh, I was hoping that Jing OS, uh, the Jing pad would be it, but, uh, not so sure yet. I've seen a couple of reviews of it and it still has some bugs, but, um, let's go into this. Uh, what, what drew you to this article? 
Well, I mean, I do think that like uh, one of the more important future interfaces of computing will be open source tablets uh, kind of thing. And we're just not there yet. I mean, we've had a couple companies um, putting out and for them to say like this is like one of the first this is the first Linux tablet is a lie because um, I have one sitting right here. It's like months old. Um, um, it's a difficult thing. That's what I'm going to say for to bridge that gap between mobile devices and computing devices. You know what I mean? To be productive on a tablet seems like it's not as easy as I thought in the past. Uh, I want Jing OS to be successful. I want Jing OS to push the barriers. Um, but just like Creative Labs made the Diamond Rio, which was a fantastic portable MP3 player, nobody remembers that one. All they remember was the iPod. Um, I hope Jing OS can keep pushing it further. But I'm pretty sure that they're not going to be the ones, the first ones in air quotes to do it right and to be really successful and to get wide scale popularity. Um, the one thing that made me almost upset was that the Jing OS seems to be getting good momentum, but for some reason they're not doing software for the Pine tab, which is a very good, I think, platform, hardware platform to try to export your KDE Plasma interface to. Um, I don't know why they're not, but they're not. Well, also, to be fair, they are still new out of the gate. However, one of the reviews that I did see earlier uh, with the only thing that opened up was a terminal. They're actually using up three gigs of RAM. So that's a, that's a little bit of a problem if you're going to try and become a, a, a tablet um, and hoping that you can move this platform over to other mobile devices because that's not going to work too well. Well, I mean, RAM is getting cheaper. Um, it's going to, it, it is almost at the point where it's going to be difficult to buy a smartphone with less than three gigs of RAM. And we do have phones out there with eight plus gigs of RAM in them. Um, we have, to be honest, um, Elon Musk, Starlink putting up all these satellites. We have China putting up insane amount of micro satellites, which are basically phone motherboards kind of thing. Um, because of the number of smartphones being sold, because because of the number of all these things being sold, we're going to keep getting more and more and more RAM where I, I have no problem in saying this time next year, it's going to be really difficult to buy a phone with less than four or maybe even six gigs of RAM in it, which means we should be able to get a affordable, in air quotes, tablet with at least four gigs of RAM in it for hopefully less than 120 bucks is what I'm going to say. Um, so maybe it's like the Bill Gates RAM thing where maybe they're just shooting a little bit ahead uh, to where what their platform will maybe hopefully be optimized for hardware six, eight months from now kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I looked at the reviews for the Jingpad A1 and, and I am like a Linux beta tester. You know what I mean? I have no problem giving money to people when all I'm going to end up doing is just giving you money. You know, what you give me is not going to be something I can use in my daily routine like every day and re re rely on, to be honest. The Jingpad doesn't seem like the kind of device that I could do even a good amount of workflow on it would be literally just a thing i could watch a tv show or two on because i'm pretty sure if i watch full screen video i wouldn't be able to get like an hour worth which actually is interesting have you actually seen the uh surface pro yet oh yeah 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 um more than a couple people at my work have had a couple iterations of the surface pro and the hardware is some of the best hardware i think microsoft has ever done i just don't like the os yeah 
You know, I think that's one of the, the downfalls because all it takes is a video and about uh, 15 minutes in, I'll tell you, the tablet runs so hot you could fry an egg off of the back of it. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Um, you know and I know heat equals power, so you're not going to get great battery life when something gets hot like that. Um, I wish Jingpad all the luck in the world, but I'm going to also tell them very bluntly, you have to support things like the Pine tab. You also have to support flashing this operating system on thing like on things like the Amazon Fire tablets. Um, because the communities that those hardware have around them would jump on you guys and give you guys great support back. Uh, to try to do this all on your own, JingOS, uh, I don't know what you think. Um, you need other people. You can't do everything yourself. Stand on the shoulders of giants before you. Get other communities involved, uh, and you will see much, much, much more success, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I think my only hesitancy right now is that... Uh... You know, uh, it's not a hate, but I just I'm always hesitant for a Chinese product, especially, um, you know, anything given the state of where we are with technology and China in general. So those are those are my concerns, much like the same if I were running uh, Deepin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say um, Deepin has supposedly, in air quotes, lost the crown of the uh, best-looking Linux desktop is what I kept seeing, I kept hearing, I kept seeing whatever. So then I decided to finally go look at what they were talking about. Um, and it's a distribution, I want to say, called Garuda, G-A-R-U-D-A, Garuda, uh, which is a KDE Linux desktop that they say is, like, blows away deep in desktop. Um, and I go and I look at it, and it looks like the most annoying in my way operating system i think i've seen in years um i like linus torvalds i believe the job of an operating system is to be transparent get out of your way let you run the applications you need to run and don't be something i have to learn kind of thing and this to me looks like it's unbelievably um busy uh with it wants you to know it is there with the gar Garuda assistant with the Garuda settings manager, Garuda network assistant. It just seems to me to be too much. Well, you know, I think these neon colors too. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, they're trying to appeal to Mac users. They might, um, but uh, it's busy. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I mean, I understand you know, the idea of having something up and having a coworker or a friend walk by and like look at it and catch their eye with it. I understand that kind of appeal, but you know, that's not going to like win you uh, like a championship. If you're in a sport, it's just going to get people, uh, people's attention to you. Um, in my opinion, to be the best desktop pretty is pointless. It's function over form. That's what get things done. You know what I mean? People at NASA, for instance, aren't going to be running this desktop, okay? Because it's going to get in their way and it's going to make them slower in getting their job done. Um, just a guess. No, I think that's accurate. Um, you know, you look at some of the longer standing. Now, I could see some form of Ubuntu adopting this kind of a, a desktop, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, when you look at some of the old stalwarts like uh, Debian or even... You know, they they have a heartbeat, uh, Slackware. 
It'll be interesting to see what version 15 looks like, or will they jump to another number altogether? But uh, uh, word from the campus, they're getting ready for a, n- a new release. So I'd be very curious. I, I might actually uh, download that onto my production laptop. Very cool, very cool. And uh, and uh, what I'm going to end with is with this is I really don't understand even putting the words together. The most beautiful Linux desktop, the best looking Linux desktop. Nobody says who has the best looking NASCAR. Nobody says which basketball team has the best colors in their jersey. Nobody says what stadium in baseball has the best look to it kind of thing. No, I want results. Who wins the most? Who has the highest percentage of this? Who's getting things done? I don't care what the color pattern is of, you know, a sports team. it it just confuses me well especially when the day is done that's the beauty of linux you can absolutely change whatever distro you're on you can make it as colorful and as loud as you want it you know this this is nothing new very true very true uh i want to say there might have been one other link i wanted to jump on i cannot remember what it was oh yeah 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 this I just wanted to mention just because I wanted to mention just because I wanted to mention uh, one of my podcasts I really like listening to. I want to say it's just called RGB. Uh, and what it is, it's basically old school gaming related kind of thing. Uh, if you are at all interested in emulating, because he even admits now there are collectors who want their Nintendo and their Sega Genesis and they want them, but they want them to sit there and look pretty. And then when it comes time to actually play games, they don't want to wear those systems out. So they literally buy like this piece of hardware called a Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R. And what it is, this is a super affordable programmable field array is what it actually is to where you can basically with this one piece of hardware, you can load virtually any gaming console uh, for the last, excluding the last like eight years worth of consoles and just play games kind of thing. Uh, The community the open source community of developers around this piece of hardware seems like it's insane how much they're doing and how much they're benefiting. And the real reason I'm interested in this kind of thing is I like the idea of being able to archive history, especially in this sense, gaming history. Um, A lot of companies do not want you to be able to play games off of old systems because those old systems are dead. You don't, you have to buy the new system. I'm a fan of being a archivist, take these old games and put them in a way so younger people can experience them kind of the way they were meant to be um, de- delivered. So people around this mister, while companies, I'm sure, will say that they're breaking law, I look at them as archivists. They're doing the work that I think really needs to be done in this kind of arena. Well, what I'm trying to understand is why there's even pushback against it, because if somebody is taking old technology that you no longer want to support, uh, why be a dick about it and hold on to the uh, patent when you can just simply send it out into the wild and say, do what you will of it, you know, Um, because uh, I agree. In fact, I picked up what is that? It's not um, the old Atari system. And you can get them at Bed Bath and Beyond. Forty dollars gets you over a hundred and twenty games on the original looking console. You know things like that. Xbox. You know the whole nine yards. I mean, it's it's all there. If you can keep that stuff going and you enjoy playing it, what's to stop you from doing it? Yeah, and 
well, I don't have any time to play games anymore kind of thing. I really don't. I just would love the idea of having it there. So when hypothetically my son asked me a question, I would, well, here, I can show you this game and boot it up and show them old games. Um, so many now platforms have online digital stores where they want you to sign into your Xbox account and buy this game pack instead of getting old hardware back up and running again. Yeah, we have enough e-waste. Thanks, Apple. Ding. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, find something old and resurrect it and bring it back to life. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, looks like we've been going for about an hour, Bruce. I think we're done pretty good. Yeah, and, um, I'm waiting for the uh, DistroWatch news to update, too, so I can get that out of the way today as well. Huh? And there it is. Nice. Very cool. All right. Uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with us, it's really easy. All the links are in the notes. Uh, if you look for us on a podcast platform and you don't find us there, please let me know. And I will make sure that we are on that podcasting platform. Um, Linux for the rest of us. We try to be a podcast for all kinds of Linux people, uh, not just the hardcore nerds, but just also try to be friendly to the newer people. Uh, it's very easy to send us an email. Uh, you can just send us an email at uh, podcast at Linux for the rest of us.com. Uh, or you can just go to the website and click on contact. Uh, do you have any parting words, Bruce? No, actually it's been good to uh, circle back and after a long hiatus, sort of get back into the swing of things. Yeah. Uh, things will be getting better. I believe I'm going to have my surgery in less than two months, uh, but we have to wait and see. Nice. Well, good luck with that. Thank you very much. And with that, I want to thank everyone for subscribing. Thanks, everyone, for downloading. Thanks for the patience with everyone. Uh, and we will hopefully talk to everyone again real soon.